0: Radio Drome. It's Thursday and another Radio Drome is upon us. I am Josh with my co-host.
1: Brad with my jog cup of uh, water to get me through the hour again.
0: And we actually have a special guest. Our boss, Todd Sheets, is on this week.
2: That's right. It's scary.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's scary to think that you're our boss technically too. I don't even think, what are you saying? I'm not a boss, I'm just a guy. You own Jackalope, and we work for Jackalope, so that kind of makes you the boss. That's true, but not really. All right, you do what you
2: you guys do what you want to do. I never censor, unless you talk bad about Batman, and suddenly your sound goes off. I don't know what
0: happened. Dark Knight was a piece of crap. I'm sorry. You
2: know, I will slap what? you in the forehead. You are you yeah. you've got no taste, my friend. No taste.
0: Dark Knight was terrible. It was full of plot holes. That's
1: like, that's like saying Heat is a terrible movie.
0: Dark heat Knight is. is. L.A. Takedown was far better than Heat, man. L.A. Takedown was far better.
1: It doesn't make Heat a bad movie.
0: Makes L.A. I know, Takedown... This, this the...
2: guy's on crack over here. You know, there's absolutely nothing... The only flaw with the Dark Knight at all was some of the choppy editing, but that was only because they had to cut the movie down from its original running time. There was nothing wrong with that movie at all. And to prove it, it's like the number one superhero movie of all time. So you can sit over there and twiddle your butt and say, it was horrible, but those Batman fans... See, they made that movie for me, not for you. But for me, I'm a comic book fan, and the movie was whatever. full of the movie was full of plot holes. Todd, get out of here, man! You were not a Batman fan like I am. There's no You're way. really
1: upset about plot holes in a Batman movie. I
2: mean, get a job get in a, a sideshow. Side let's show. let's <laughs> talk about the stuff you watch.
0: Yeah, and I, I've I've seen <laughs> these I've seen these really terrible movies called Zombie Bloodbath and yeah, Bimbos whatever. in Time and Violent <laughs> New Breed. Oh wait, those are all directed by a guy named Todd Sheets.
2: Yeah, but you know what? You haven't seen Violent New Breed, or else you'd know there's no plot holes in that movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm just looking at your IMDb page You're just being a turd Which is nothing new for you, man No, it's not, and I, I don't mind that Before we get <laughs> too into this, I have to do the the giveaway From Alternative Cinema, or I'm going to end up forgetting This week we're giving away, and I cannot believe I have to say this Sleazy Sci-Fi of the 70s It's three nice. movies Invasion of the Bee girls 2069 A Sex Odyssey And Dr. Dildo's Secret <laughs> I can't believe these movies exist, let alone that I'm giving them away.
2: Secret is. Well, two cursed. of those are amazing. I haven't seen the third one.
0: Which, yeah. which one haven't you seen?
2: I've never heard of Dial Starting I think it's a retitled because the other two are legitimate
0: films that played here, you know, at the, at the grindhouses and the drive ins here, and uh, they're fantastic. Well, the back of the box says Obsessed with the desire to create a perfect woman, a mad scientist grows facsimiles in his basement and breeds them into life through sex.
1: It's the body shop. (laughs) So,
0: it's a triple feature from our friends at Alternative Cinema, and I guess the question would be, as this airs, what is Brad's last video that he posted on his website?
1: Are you asking me uh, the last video I posted on my site? No, Uh,
0: when this airs, so we don't actually know yet.
1: Oh, okay, Uh, Geek Maggot Bingo.
0: (laughs) Please not be the geek from your Sasquatch porn video. not
1: that geek. No, not not the Sasquatch porn. Now, this, this movie's twice as
2: long. It's 70 minutes.
0: Wow. Well, hey, Todd, just for you, I think Dr. Dildo's Secret has midgets in it. Todd has a thing for midgets. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you could always torture him with midgets. Just say nice. no. We wanted you on, partially because you're our boss and we're sucking up, and partially we wanted to talk about micro-budget filmmaking. You have told me you're not too impressed with some of your filmography. Is that correct? Well, you know, the story is when you first start out, especially the way I was doing it, you know,
2: I was a fan. I loved the stuff. I got a Super 8 camera from my father and I was out there. He he would have like, he would always have bag fulls of film for like 4th of July or whatever holiday he was going to do. Well, I would go out and scam his film and go make Frankenstein epics or whatever, you know, in the backyard or around the neighborhood or find some cool caves or whatever I had to do. And, uh, that's kind of where I got my start, just because I loved it so much, man. I really loved movies. I mean, this was, you're talking about a kid that, you know, could could recite film stuff at, you know, the age of eight years old. I'm like pounding stuff out because I love this stuff so much. I was a famous monsters kid, later on a Fangoria f- with Uncle Bob Martin, actually, who was in Geek Maga Bingo. So there you go. Right and, on. And uh, But the thing is, you know what? For me, it was the love of, of just monster movies and the love of, of the whole genre, also sci-fi stuff, and, and you know I was also a, a comic book guy and a superhero freak, but my thing, I, I just loved it, so I went out and started doing that, and what happened was a few of my friends and I, they started putting out these things called video cameras, and uh, the first ones were very bulky, and you could barely find them anywhere, but my dad actually found one, and we started doing some of that because it was cheaper than processing film and everything, and then we got Hi8, and those were kind of smaller, and I could start doing some more with that, so we started kind of playing with that as, as kids, and uh, the damn things, some of them got distributed, and uh, I have to thank Dave Dakota for seeing a vision in there of some kind. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I was a kid, you got to understand, and that stuff got put out. Well, uh, most directors, they put that stuff in a closet somewhere, they bring it out as a curio after they've won some awards. I mean, yeah, I just won an Academy Award, I'm going to put these little short films I did as a kid on this DVD, and everyone's going to like it and think, how how quaint and cute. For me, yeah. no. I got bashed like a crazy man I'm I, I still trying to live those movies down this guy just sucks and I'm just like you know what I was a kid and, and, they, and what would you do if one of your idols came to you as a kid and said hey I can put these out these are pretty cool you know what I, I, what was I going to say my friends were looking at me and I said oh yeah that'd be great well, you know, I actually had people like doing reviews of these things in magazines at the time saying, Yeah, he doesn't know how to follow a director's line. I was a kid. I didn't even know what the hell a director's line was. And to this day, there's still filmmakers at the multiplex who don't know what the hell a director's line is because I went and saw that movie Gamer and that oh, thing. They, they had no idea what a director's line was. That movie was all over. That was shot like Blind Mellow Jelly. He went and got his daddy's records from Sanford and Son and then went and shot that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. So, you know, I, I, I take the criticism understandably. But also, there's a point to it. I mean, you know, the, the, these same people who dog me, trash me, and everything else, well, man, they saw a movie I made when I was 15, 16 years old, maybe 18. They've never seen anything since, you know. They, they never really uh, f- checked it out. And, and that's kind of ridiculous considering, you know, some of the great filmmakers today, they've made crap, too. And let's be honest – with the advent of the internet, it's even easier to go back and dig that stuff out, which should have yeah. been burned. And and now I've got people like telling me horrible things, like if you ever pick up a camera again, we're going to shoot you. Things that you wouldn't believe. And, and here's the deal, okay? I'm I'm no you know Spielberg, I'm no Argento or Fulci, but. I've seen Andy Milligan's movies, and no one's like wanting to kill that guy, you know. And I'm like, hold on, I like Andy Milligan for what he had. No one's like threatening Nathan Schiff to come by and bomb his house, you know, if he picks up a camera. It's 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 kind of ridiculous. It's not like I've I've started World War III. I made some bad movies when I was a kid. Get over it, or I'm coming to your house and I'm going to bomb your ass.
1: How hard was it to get? uh, I mean, nowadays, you know, you get you can make you can make a movie, you can put it on the internet. I mean, I have movies on IMDb that aren't necessarily released but they're on the internet at the time back then how hard was it to get something released on video
2: well it it was at the the thing was this you got to realize this was the 80s whenever <laughs> you know mom and pop video stores were everywhere mm-hmm. you had You know, 60,000 video stores out there that needed product, and that didn't include the the chains like Movies at Home, which was a fantastic movie chain that got. I don't even know if you guys know that whole story where Blockbuster came and said, We want to buy it. They said, No. They said, Fine. They bought the property, all the buildings set on, and said, Move the building. Ah, uh, yeah, that's going to happen. But anyway, that's another story for another time. But what happened to all those great stores? Were they're basically muscled out by these old, these corporate a holes that were at the time owned by the Dove Resource Group, also known as the Christian Coalition, uh, and they uh-huh. were getting rid of these stores. But there was a there was a height right there, right before that happened, where they needed product, and uh, there was people there that could fill it. And the thing was, it was difficult because you had to compete. In a marketplace with a lot of people that were, you know, not delivering the groceries, they would put all kinds of, you know, bloody pictures on the box, and you'd get it. Like for instance, I think the movie's fun in a kind of weird, kind of comedic way. Woodchipper Massacre. I know the guy who made it's a, g- a good guy, and I, and I and John I McBride. Right, and I don't think it's a bad movie at all. But it was sold as a gore fest, and let's be honest, it's not a gore fest at all. Whereas, you know, when I was there, I was looking for, the, you know, the next... I wanted the next bad taste, you know. I wanted the next gore fest. Yeah. I wanted to see it. Uh, so the, the one thing my movies did deliver, even though they were technically crap, they delivered on the gore department because we, that's what all that we spent the money on. We had money for some gels, some lights, and some blood. And that's what we did. I mean, these movies went worldwide. Dave Dakota, the other night, I was talking to him uh, just Tuesday night, and he said, he said, look, Todd, he goes, you know, people can be mean all they want, but the truth is these idiots on the Internet they're putting their stuff on YouTube and acting like they're gods, but you got movies in every country in the world, man. So, yeah. you know, they may stink in, in some ways because they were early, but by God, man, I sold your movies in every territory I had. You know, and that's where I'm like, well, I did get a lot of, you know, response from Japan and a bunch of places, and that enabled me to go on and, and kind of get serious. And my first real movie I tried to make was Zombie Bloodbath. Of course, I would have to try that in the middle of the worst flood in the, in the world in 1993 here, but I did try... You know, to, to kind of, I guess, you know, do something positive out of that. Because I'd look back on those and, you know, I, I knew they were crap because I was going, wow, man, I, I should have done better. You know, but, but then I said, I'm going to. I'm going to pull my resources. So we had 700 zombies. We did all this huge movie right in the middle of the worst raining flood. It rained every single day almost for an entire year. The entire Midwest was flooded. We had to compromise the script at every turn. Because I, I had a contract, and I had to fulfill the contract. It, it was, it was going to play theatrically, and I had all this stuff going on, and I had to finish it. So uh, it, I had to cut corners, and I had to do what I had to do, because half our damn locations were underwater and stuff. So Yeah. So, you know, as, as and that movie, again, turned out to be huge for me worldwide. And I, I look at it now, and it's crude as hell, but at least I see a start of something where I yeah. actually started trying. And, and you could see that, you know, there was an elevation and and as it progressed, you see them get better and better and better up till now. But my God, man, when you first start out, you don't get a break
0: from these people. Todd, about Zombie Bloodbath, didn't you say that they didn't even release the correct edit originally? Didn't they release a work print accidentally? Yeah,
2: yeah, that was that was another nightmare for me. Now that the the right one played theatrically, which was great. It, it was one of those things, man, where you know, it, again, you're you're kind of. And hold on, my, my this producer I had was kind of unscrupulous, and then he, you know, we had to deal with this distributor, and they didn't really give a damn. He, you know, I was over there working on the thing on Betacam SP, you know, and we were film looking at it as we went and working on this thing, uh, and and I, I get the damn thing kind of where I wanted, it, and then I go and I put my temp sound, and I'm kind of thinking about, ah, oh, does that scene work? Do I need to move it? Uh, You know, maybe I need to trim back these effects because the gore goes on a little too long. I know that's what the people are here to see. But, man, you know, I'm pulling that just gut out for, like, 12 minutes. Let's pull that back. (laughs) I put everything I had in, and then we saw, you know, this is how long the movie is. Now let's start trimming it back. Well, about halfway through that process, Betacam SP Masters go to the duplicator. I'm like, what's going on here? You know, I was coming in to finish the movie. Oh, well, we thought that that was the final cut. It's gone. They didn't go get it back. They just released it. I'm like, do you realize there's music in there we're not even supposed to be using? It's not even mine. You know, it's not even licensed. There's like two songs in there. Oh, well, you know, so I said, you've got to at least get it back so I can get Ozzy Osbourne out of there. We're going to go to jail, for God's sake. So then they put it out. And here's the thing about Inglewood Video, okay? They put these things out everywhere. And I was working there at the time. And, uh, and you know what? I never saw one report. Nothing. I didn't even think anyone liked the movie. I thought, man, I'm, maybe I should quit because I really suck. And then I go to Chiller Theater, okay? I was asked to come to Chiller Theater. And, man, I get a long line of people. I wasn't even sure I was even going to be – no one didn't even know who I was, you know? I get a line of people wanting me to sign stuff, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, holy cow, people know who I am. People are buying these – damn look, all these people have this movie. Mm-hmm. How the hell, what the hell going on here? Well, then, of course, they were buying the hell out of the movie – but I never saw one red cent, and, I, and my investors never saw a penny, and the damn thing, I, I never saw one report, not one quarterly report to tell me what the sales were, but I know damn good and well they were selling because people had them. You know? That's, that was a nightmare.
0: What do you think about the people that when Linkara reviewed the Bimbos in Time comic book, which has your name attached to it and you really had nothing to do with, and you get all the flack over that? Well, it's it's kind of like what happened with Sucker Punch recently. Everyone's given this guy,
2: Zack Schneider, total hell over a movie that is not representing his final cut because he had no say in the edit, and he lost 19 minutes of his movie. 19 minutes. That's a quarter of a movie, okay? Yeah, and that's something, yet,
1: you, could, and that's something you could tell by just by watching it and not knowing that going in. You could pick up on that pretty, pretty – at least I did pretty quick.
2: Well, that's because people aren't informed. No one reads anything anymore. They just spout off at the mouth, and that's part of the problem, too. No one does any research. But but you know what? The bimbos in time review, I rolled on the floor. Okay, I was in stitches over that review. It was freaking hilarious. And the whole point of it, the biggest thing I was laughing about is because, in a way, it was exactly what we wanted. See, the, the whole point was, that was the joke. See, that was the big punchline of the joke. We knew we were making this completely trashy, goofy crazy movie because we were contractually obligated, okay, uh, for foreign markets, mind you. And so we made this movie because we were told we, we had to. At that point, I was done. I was trying to move on and do something better with Zombie Bloodbath. So that's why Mike took over, and that's why that movie exists. But we decided as a promotional tool we would do this comic. Now, Augie Alvarez is a really nice guy, and the guy's trashing his art, but Augie, you know, he did the best he could under the conditions. He had like two weeks to do this thing, and so he's like trying to get this thing together and to do this art and everything, and, and it was commissioned by Draculina, and we had, you know, Hugh Gallagher's a hell of a guy. We were having a good time, and it was all, the joke was, it's the worst movie in the world, and here's the coolest thing ever, the the, the coolest promotional tie-in, the worst comic in the world, and that's, that was the big... <laughs> because the cover and realize the guy was cracking me up because he's like i don't understand why they didn't just use photoshop these comments and i'm like there was no photoshop this was 1992 yeah there was photoshop it cost about a thousand dollars and you had to have a macintosh back then it was a completely different world okay 1991 92 right in there so i'm going get a job in a sideshow dude do some research the damn thing came out in the middle of nowhere now the cover when i saw it surprised me as well i was like Wow, I thought that was going to be colorized better, like by a real inking thing, but I didn't know it was going to be colored pencils. But that even added to the greatness of the worst comic book ever made. So we embraced it as the fact that we just set out to just make something, just like the comic book equivalent of a Ed Wood movie, and that's kind of what we were trying to do. So whenever they're all going on and on about what a piece of crap it is, I'm going, "Well, that's the joke." I wish someone would get it. You know, it's it was it was a great great piece though I, I had a great time watching it and, and it was funnier than hell and he, and he got all the things that we meant for him to get the only thing he didn't get was it was intended that's the, <laughs> that's the best punchline of all though you know did you I do I have to ask did you often
1: given how really fun and intricate a lot of the titles the titles themselves are prehistoric bimbos and Armageddon city bloodthirsty cannibal demons they're fun titles how did you come up with those? I mean, did you come up with the, ti- the titles for the movies, or did the plot come first and then the title, or the title and then kind of wrapping it around that?
2: That's a good question, actually. Usually I would kind of do both. I'd get a concept, and then I'd yeah. go, wow, what about this title? And then we would come up with the craziest. other I mean, you knew around the time of, of Bimbos in Time, there was another film that I was producing called The Invasion of the Intergalactic Grannies. Do you really think I was taking it serious at that point? I was so frustrated at that point that right. I was either going to quit or I was going to pool my resources and try to do something cool. Now, Zombie yeah. Bloodbath is far from perfect. It's 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 kind of crappy. But it's crappy in a Bruno Matai kind of way where we were trying to oh. pay homage to like all these zombie movies that we loved. We took every single zombie movie, threw it in an, a, a mixer, and came oh. out with this ludicrous, crazy story about this Indian burial ground, and they built a nuclear power plant over it, and the spirits melted it down. and Just completely yeah. crazy and ridiculous. But the whole point was, look, I wasn't trying to make great art. I was sure. trying to entertain the hell out of someone who wanted some blood. And, and honestly, that's the kind of movies I – I mean, you know what? I'd take Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers any day over Sling Blade. And I, not to say Sling Blade's a bad movie because it's not. It's extremely uh-huh. well made, great acting. But I'd rather watch Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Why? I have a much better time. Yeah, I, I agree with that.
0: Well, Todd, what about the availability? It's a lot of your films, they're pretty hard to get a hold of.
2: Thank God I've tried hard. But no, the, uh, the truth the is...
0: That's not, not like, what I meant. I meant even... <laughs> you can't get me copies to see some of these, and I work I for you. I on
2: purpose. I'm not Are you kidding? What am I going to do? No, honestly, what I've been doing. After the zombie bloodbath trilogy, it was kind of an experiment because that stuff's been released everywhere on DVD but here. So I'm like, let's, let's try to see what it does. It, it did really well. So then I talked to the guys over at uh, you know, Pop Cinema, and uh, we're working on this other stuff. And I've been remastering. Now, here's the thing people don't understand. We don't want to put out just one at a time. We want to do a box set for the, for the people who love these movies. And yeah. I want to do it right. Now, here's the thing. Some of that stuff was shot in different formats. Some of, them, some of those formats have rotted and deteriorated, so I had to go back to the original source material, and I had a good soundtrack on the Beta Cam SP, and I would use that, and I would have to match frame by frame the original footage and sometimes I, I could improve upon certain things and sometimes I could fix like a bad effect or whatever and we can make it better. And I've been doing that and it just takes so long to do that. But I have now got, you know, five of the movies remastered, ready to go. My favorite out of those violent new breed. I can't wait for people to see that because Rudy Ray Moore is a hoot. It's two hours and five minutes long. It's a fricking epic. But the one thing I'm really proud of about it is, you know, Flipside movie Emporium did these reviews early on. Uh, they were early on the internet back in the day and they're still there and they quotes ever for me that made me feel so good was they said look a lot of people put down shot on video product a lot of people put down this micro budget filmmaking but if there's one movie I can tell you to watch to get you into it it's Violent New Breed this movie has everything I want in a movie and it kicks ass from beginning to end and that just like made me feel like hundred percent like wow if someone gets it you know I, I felt so vindicated and I did win a lot of awards with it man we blew up cars I brought in five makeup effects shops I was like doing a lot nice. we spent a lot of money you know because we were trying to show I'd, I'd made this movie called Moonchild, which won some awards around the, around the world. And uh, D. Wallace, of all people, gave me my award in person uh, at the cool. Kansas Film Festival. It was so funny because she was standing there and she goes, okay, Moonchild won. And I go up to get the award and I look at her and I say, Dee, I love you, but you've never done a better part than when you were a Pekingese at the end of The Howling. <laughs> and she looked at me and didn't quite know what to say. And she goes, "I hope that's a compliment." And I go, "It certainly is because you made that movie awesome." And uh, she laughed. And, and I and I uh, later on after the, after the whole thing was over I went to her And I, you know, that really was a compliment for me to tell you that. That's a big deal because I loved you in that movie. I can't imagine anyone else playing that part because you brought. You know, a perfect sensibility to it. You didn't seem stupid or in any way. You seemed like an intelligent woman. And you seemed like you, you know, you were kind of stuck in a terrible situation. You reacted like a normal person would. You did a fantastic job. So she was all happy. And I got to meet Dee Wallace and get an award from her for this movie, Moonchild. So after that movie was done, I was like, what's my next step? And I shot down the road and did this Violent New Breed thing, which cost me a lot of hell with the Baptists locally. But uh, it's a cool movie and I'm real proud of it.
1: Does it ever kind of bother you when certain people can't really seem to get past how it's shot the shot on t- videotape aspect of it
2: well that's a good question and what we did for like violent new breed like we made that movie under contract from showtime okay and we were making this There was the first time i had to do nudity like that in a movie and oh, right. it, it had to have nudity in the first you know 15 minutes or whatever the guy was adamant that i had tna in this movie so i crammed all yeah. of it into the front part of the movie and and we were working with this girl holly star who uh or I can't remember her name. I think that was it. Anyway, she was like a a porn star. And she was wanting to go legit, and she had been on Jerry Springer, and she got a hold of us. She goes, we, well, I'm going to be coming through town. Can I be in the movie? So I was like, okay. You know, she knew Joel Hodge, who was, a, who was in the movie, and he was from New York City, and we, you know, we had people from all around the country doing this. And I was like, okay, we'll do it. Well, we didn't know what we were going to do with her, so we kind of invented a dream sequence where she bites the guy's you know, junk off and <laughs> rips her boobs out and this whole big thing, blood spraying on her boobs. We, I mean, we, we milked it for everything it was worth. And then we had a stripper scene, and you know, I was like, okay, I was the ner- most nervous nerd you've ever seen. I'm up there like thumbing through my Batman. Comic, hoping that no one notices that I'm even there until I had to shoot because I'm like, oh my God, all right. I would go in and block the shot, tell them where I wanted the lighting, and then I would like go sit down. I'm uh, reading my script or reading a co- Batman comic. I was like, this is so scary for me to be there. But th- it, was, it was the first time I shot Nudity like that. And I tell you what, the movie did great for us worldwide. And, and we, what we did was we filmed like the damn thing. We filmed looked it, and and it was the it was the early days when digital was coming in. It was called like D tape or whatever it's called, and it was right. the first early digital stuff. You know those those giant tapes that looked almost like Betacam SP, but they were digital. And we were like, yeah, man, we had this huge camera, and we're trying to figure out how some of the stuff we went in and we shot with other cameras because I wanted a grain to it. Or I wanted to look because I'd learned on Zombie Blood Bat 2 how to shoot different. Different aspects. Hell, I even shot Black and White Super 8 on Zombie Bloodbath 2 just because I wanted to try all this. This was like, it was so weird too because what inspired me to do this, this look was the Iron Maiden video, Wasting Love. It just so happened, Natural Born Killers came out around the same time as Zombie Bloodbath 2 and everyone thought I was trying to emulate that. Well, if they'd have really looked, I'd been filming that movie and editing it while... You know, I, there was no way I could have seen Natural Born Killers, but they had similar styles. I am wondering if Oliver Stone didn't go, "Hey, you know that Iron Maiden video is really cool. I am going to try that," because <laughs> you know, it was like it was, and the thing was, it was economical and it lent something visually to the film that you know some got it. and Other people said, "I don't know what he's, the hell he's doing." It made me freak out. And nowadays, everyone's doing it, which is like you know, oh uh, well, they're either doing that or they're shaking the camera like they're on crack. But it's yeah. like. You know, but I see a lot of that kind of uh, weird, you know, bleached out different kind of film formats going on in the same scene kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, we'll see. I, if you give people a chance, you know, you'll see that it's kind of cool. But, uh, but yeah, to, to answer that question in a long ass, long-winded long way, uh, it was hard because what we had to do was at that time we, we figured out how to film look the stuff because they had the video toaster going on. Uh, those great big Amiga computers and stuff, and and we would we would run the video toaster. And if you had two of those video toasters, you could do this great thing where you could slow down the frame rate to 24 frames per second, and then you could add a flicker and some some noise like uh, film noise. It had a it had a filter in there for film noise, and it cost a, a pretty penny. But since we were already mastering the Betacam SP, I knew a guy that had that that setup, and I went in there, and we were doing the film look. And, and a lot of people, like at the cable company, they couldn't even tell. They were just like, yeah, let's put it on. You know, it, it also depends on how you shoot it, how you light it. And I learned that as I went, because when I was early, hell no, it looks like it was shot in someone's backyard with a camcorder. But as I maybe even a Fisher-Price, to be honest, but as I uh, – as I got you know better at it and learned how the craft of filmmaking then i would I would learn how to light the stuff so it didn't look like video you know you, you avoid the burn spots, you avoid the 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 bright outs and you and you make sure that your dark spots at least have some kind of light and you make it real nice and you play with your contrast when you're mastering it and that's the big thing is you go in there and you just make it look like it could be film it's almost like Well, it's hard to tell, you know, it's kind of tough to tell. And that's that's the way you get by with it.
0: I was going to change gears slightly towards Jackalope and what made you move from making movies to wanting to have your own Internet radio station. And I'll spill the beans a little bit. You're trying to have your own terrestrial radio station, too
2: oh yeah that's that's going to happen it's it's in the works it's just uh and it's really hard for me josh because i'm used to being a guy that's in charge and takes control and just does it you know that so now i'm dealing with the fcc who are definitely not people who like to just do it they like to sit around and pick ass and uh, you know i I can say that i know i can get by with that fcc uh you're not going to like me saying it but it's the truth so deal Uh, it's one of those things where i've been fighting and fighting and every time you think you got it then all of a sudden they close the window and then you've got to wait for them to open the window so you can go in and file more paperwork, which seems to be never-ending. And it's just yeah, – hell, just just navigating that website, you have to be a rocket scientist. I mean, you've got to work for NASA. It's like, what the hell's going on? But we're going to make this happen. Now, to answer your question about why, uh, here in this area, the surrounding areas, I'm kind of uh, – I hate to use the word celebrity because I'm nobody. I'm just a dude, but I'm well known for making horror films. I'm well known around here. It's a love or hate thing. I got some guys that suck and they don't like me just because I'm outspoken. I got other guys who. Uh, I mean, here's a true story. Guy breaks my generator by not. His only job in the whole movie was, hey dude, you're 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 supposed to be working with the gaffer and make sure that the the cape and that the generator has its oil and its gas. Okay, no problem. Doesn't even check the oil the whole shoot. Blows the generator takes some of my stuff on top of that tries to pawn it then when I fire him I'm the a-hole and he goes around town saying what an a-hole I am so he goes and joins this independent filmmakers coalition thing and all they do this is the scary part they get together on a Saturday night and they talk trash on Todd sheets that was their meeting and I was like really so I showed up one time and uh, yeah that was the end of that But it was like, Uh really, you know, that's the kind of crap you got to deal with when you're at this level. It's like, come on, guys, really? So anyway, here locally I was kind of a a well-known person, and I was offered a job to do a show, kind of like an Art Bell-style show. And at that time there weren't very many shows like that. Now now there's like you put it in Paranormal Radio, and there's like 70,000 of them come up, and most of them shouldn't. So you kind of got to go, okay. At that time I said no. I said, I don't know what the hell I'm, I've never done radio, I've done interviews, but how the hell am I going to do a radio show? So I said no. But I I, I knew Art Bell. We were kind of pen pal thing. We were kind of going back and forth. We'd worked on, and I'd worked on a script and asked his input on and stuff like that. So Art says, do it. Well, they'd asked me three times by then, and I said, all right. If they ask me again, I'm going to say okay. So I got asked again. My band was on the the station. We did an interview with the band, and they said, man, why don't you do this show? I said, okay. So Juke said, I'll produce it. You come in, we'll do it. So I said okay, and I, I tried it, and uh, I don't know why, but somehow along the way, people started liking it, and we got picked up by affiliates. And the next thing I know is now, all these years later, like nine years later, you know, and I, I had the show on. You know, at that at the time I started Jackalope, I was on about 312 stations. I'm almost on 400 now, uh, worldwide in syndication. And the thing was, the reason I started Jackalope was Juke came in one day, and he's basically like, you know, I've been doing the band thing, and I'm enjoying that. He was playing in bands, you know, and, and he was going down to the bar and kind of checking it out and doing band stuff down there, and he was making more money doing that, so he's like, you know what, I think I'm going to start doing that more, why don't you produce the show and, you know, send it to me and things like that, so I was producing the show myself, and I was, you know, trying to send it to him, well, you know, I don't know what the hell was going on, but the show wouldn't play right half the time, we couldn't get a hold of him because he wasn't home, he was at the bar playing, and he didn't really seem to be interested in it, and, and I was like, you know, if I'm, I had to start, I had to go get my own stream, and I had to start doing everything myself and just hopefully have him pick up the stream, which he still couldn't figure out how to do, which it's all BS. But I was like, you know what? If I'm going through all this hell, I, I've had to do all this work and I'm paying all this money already. I may as well help some of my friends out that had shows that I'd worked with for years. And they were supposed to be working with Juke to put shows on his network. And he, this kind of goes to show you, I wasn't crazy. He would never work with anybody, he would never put in the effort to do anything, and I always wanted that, to, to have a network of cool stuff and, and, he, was, and he was telling me we were going to do it, we were going to do it and he, I don't understand why it couldn't get done I mean, no shows would ever be there there was two shows, it was like me and Westmar show that was it, and so I was like, you know I don't know what to do but i am already paying all this money, so I think I'm just going to start up my own little thing here and help some of my friends out and just put a little work together so people will know where to go to listen to their shows and From that point, boom, it took off and and now you know every show's getting huge amounts of listeners we're getting like you know a, about nine hundred gigabytes of downloads a month for the shows. People are tuned in. People are giving a damn. And it's exciting because I I just did it to help people out. And it's turned into this thing where, you know, I'm working 60 hours a week doing this. But at the same time, it, nothing makes me feel better than to hear, you know, get letters from people saying, hey, man, I just checked out Lost in the Static. And I'm loving that show. Or I just checked out Radio and I got a big kick out of this or that. You know, that's the kind of thing I want to hear. Or, you know, 42nd Street Pete has developed this huge following on this thing. And I'm like, you know, that's what it's all about and we all have great shows and we all get along like a family and I always wanted to run it like a family. I always wanted to give people the chance to do this. And that's why I did it. It was it was it was kind of weird because I kind of already knew a lot of people from doing movies and things. So I was like, let's just make this happen, you know. Let's just do something uh and and make a difference out there because there's so many people that say they have radio stations and it's almost frightening. At this point, because, I mean, really, you know, some of that stuff is just a vanity project. That's not what this is, and I didn't want it to be. I wanted it to be something special
0: for people to come to and listen, and I think that's what we got. Well, and thanks to you, they get to listen to the same episode of Radio Drone multiple weeks in a row. Cough, cough. Thanks
2: to me, hell. Thanks to technology, that's the thing that's making me mad. Okay, I'm I'm ahead of the curve here, and technology still hasn't caught up to me. It made me so mad. I wrote this script. This is the funniest thing. I write this damn script and I've got everything perfect. Well, for some reason, Josh puts a curse on his own show because no one else do I have this problem with except for one time I had it with Nightbreed. Nobody else, just Josh, and it starts replaying the show over and over. And I'm like, okay, I go in, I rewrite the script. It works for two weeks. Boom, same show again. I'm like, what in the hell are you doing to your shows, man? What is the curse? you're putting on your own shows. Are you, are you rubbing them on your butt? Are you walking in circles? What are you doing to your shows before you send them to me because the damn things just aren't working? Well, I think I finally got it fixed because they've been working for a while now the last past few weeks. So I think I finally got it, but there wasn't in the system, but it wasn't my fault.
0: I, I think what happened was is I was battling my dyslexia and I was worshiping dog instead, and I think that put a whammy on it all. I think that's a, what it was.
1: Clearly it's a curse. It's a curse. We had to record our pilot uh, twice. There there is a curse going on.
0: <laughs> the first time Brad and I recorded, my computer decided, "Yeah, I'm not saving that."
2: <laughs> well, hell, one time he sends me a file that's 45 minutes long and I'm like, "Where's the end of the show, man? It's not even there." And uh and, and so I'm thinking, "Well, maybe it's just a shorter, you know, deal." And <laughs> it's and it And sometimes he's giving me like shows that are just like I don't even know what's wrong with them I'll get them in there and they'll they'll say they loaded and then they'll just like freak out and freeze the whole system because they've been like the bit rate was wrong or something weird happened when you turn them into mp3s or whatever and I'm going what the hell is going on here so it's just a learning process and honestly the technology's almost there but not quite I mean we're pushing the envelope at the station here we're doing things at, at a resolution that pe- most people don't do of promotion and all that so
0: well I can tell you one thing that I've heard from because see Nobody listens to this show for me. They all listen for Brad. I've had a lot of people email me and say that they've discovered other Jackalope shows that they are now regular listeners to. That's what I want. After to hear listening right to us, yeah. that that they now listen to Pete or Griff or something yeah. like that.
1: I got a lot of emails like that too. When we had when we had Pete Griff, especially when we, when I put up uh, our episode with uh, Griff uh, last weekend, I got a lot of positive feedback on that.
0: That's almost scary, considering we're talking about Griff here. <laughs> quite a few people. Quite a few people pointed out the fact that he says "you know" every other sentence, though.
1: I didn't even notice that. Maybe because I, not, not the same thing with
2: that word, but with other words.
0: Well, and then I've got my stutter. We all have our little tics. Yeah. So it is what it is.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have my little tics. They're called movies that I put out a long time ago. That. Well, I think I think, s- I think
0: somebody should review v- Bimbo's BC. I think that'd be fun.
2: That's awful. That's awful. Why? Why bother? We already know it sucks. Let's, there's no need to rub salt in the wound.
1: What I wanted to ask is, because uh, uh, when I was a kid too, I made short films as well, and I remember my editing process at the time was deck to deck VCRs and getting so good at timing it just right by hitting the pause and record button and syncing it all up. Like I got really, really good at that. I was wondering what was your editing process on your short films and the movies you did like in the 80s and the early 90s?
2: When, you first, when I first started, it was Super 8, so I had an actual little cutter that my dad had. Okay. And, uh, and I would actually cut that stuff, and you had the little tape that went through the middle of the – you know, it was, a, it was a process. And then what you do is the uh, the projector we had could do, of all things, it could record onto the third strip because you know they had like a third strip on there that would take sound. And the nice. camera didn't always use it, so you could dub sound on. So what I would do is I'd edit the whole thing together, then I'd go out and put music in. And wherever the little tape was, the music would stop for a second. So it was like, son of a – Damn it! You know you get all mad because it's like da 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 I'm playing this great music from Universal monster movies for my Frankenstein film, and the crap isn't even working. But you live and learn. So so the that was my first thing, and then like you, I started experimenting with uh, flying erase heads because that was the way. I wouldn't yeah. do it before that because I hated the rainbow color-y thing. Plus, you couldn't oh. do in- inserts. You know, you yeah. couldn't do insert editing. You couldn't do audio inserts. So I, I wouldn't. I was I was using uh, three-quarter-inch stuff because I was working at a TV station at the time as an intern. So I would use yeah. their stuff. But then when Super VHS came out and some of the high-end VHS stuff before that that was like flying a head kind of stuff where you could actually go in and do edits, I started yeah. doing it. I started having a great time. And like you, they didn't have controllers for that stuff, so you had to get the timing down. So oh, yeah. like. The first version of Zombie Bloodbath, as a matter of fact, that got released, I did. I edited the whole thing that way. That's oh, yeah. what people don't get. All those early movies, Bimbos, all those were edited that way. No one understands that I was a kid in a bedroom and I was pushing the pause button on a Flying Racehead VCR and my movie was just sold to Japan. Now, yeah. that was freaky. And that's the part that no one really gets that's trashing a guy. It's like, well, you, you, what would you have done? You just said, you know, you'd have done the same thing. And at that time, that's all we had. We couldn't. Yeah. I mean, unless you were rich and you could go down and you know get yourself rent yourself a beta SP machine. Which later years, when we had a budget, we would do. But man, in those yeah. early days, what the hell was I going to do? You know, I, I wasn't going to be able to do that. I was I was a kid that had you know twelve dollars and fifty cents in his pocket, enough to buy a you know a reel of eight millimeter film or yeah. or, or even eight millimeter you know tape at the time. And I could go out because if you remember, that stuff was so expensive back then. Hell, it cost you twelve dollars for eight millimeter blank uh-huh. tape it was crazy but yeah that's kind of what i did i did the same thing you did the cool thing about it was a uh, hi 8 came out and it it was the first ones before super vhs to give you that really nice uh smooth editing situation they they had the little decks and everything so i was playing with that and then super vhs of course i fell in love with that the old panasonic ag 1970 and all those those were nice systems and uh and you know i was i was editing a lot of stuff uh on the on the punch out it was it was terrible <laughs>
0: Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to set up something for Jackalope on this Halloween, Todd. I, I'm thinking about maybe even talking you into doing a Kickstarter on it. I'd love to get all the Jackalope hosts into Salem for the week of Halloween and do live broadcasts of all the shows. You tell me that would not be awesome. Well you know I'm for it. You know I'm there.
2: It's a the late nineties slasher film waiting to happen. Yeah, I it, it, is. it
0: is and we could probably shoot something. But
2: <laughs> and, and then we could edit it we could, we could edit it, it art, tape to tape. Would say it sucked. <laughs> there we go. We'd be on the road.
0: Cuz I think that would be a really cool idea. I mean, that, how cool would that be to have me and Brad and Pete and Griff and you and everybody just sitting around doing live versions of our shows from Salem on Halloween week.
2: I'm and then it'd be cool it. because then Josh would be all like, "I'm going to kick that guy's butt because he said our movie sucked." I'd be like, huh. <laughs> How's it feel?
0: I'd also come with a effigy of Batman just to piss you off.
2: You're 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 just wrong in every way, dude. they are just wrong.
0: Nothing quite burns quite like an effigy,
2: and nothing burns quite like my foot in your butt. Wah wah! It'd be nice. it be nice.
0: Wah wah! <laughs> you and Brad sort of have would have a weird kinship in that he's made a lot of sorry, Brad, but crappy shot on video movies. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't mean to be insulting, but let's face it: oh, most no. of them aren't that good.
2: Oh yeah. Well, so well, how could they be though? Let's be for real. Could they? Well, we had it Jack is, to like, work it with. Do you'd do you'd, you'd it be does. better off working does with it play, do though. What
1: it does well.
2: Well, it I, I, it do it never does it does well
1: and, and try not to make it boring. <laughs> Is, that's the key.
2: That's the key. Yeah. And you know what? That's the one thing I, I have to say about all my reviews. They may they say you know what, The movie might be terrible, uh, they, especially the early movies. They might be awful, but God, there's always something going on. And that was the number one because I learned my lessons from talking to people like Dave Dakota. I worked on a couple of movies with, you know, some of the some of the great people out there. I worked on Child's Play three as I was learning, and as you know, they said yeah. you know you can get by with a lot, just don't bore the audience. And that's the one thing I have to say with the micro yeah. filmmaking. People still kind of haven't learned. You know, if I if I rent another. Movie that starts out with some schmoes in a jeep going down the road talking for thirty minutes. I'm gonna go crazy because every movie now, for some reason, all these Lionsgate movies—they might as well call them "People in a Jeep Facing X." <laughs> Put whatever you want. You know, yeah. werewolves, vampires. You know, giant tarantulas. The the thing is, the, the Lionsgate—I I tell you what—every one they released there for a while was these people driving to the woods because it's cheap to shoot in the woods. But yeah, I'm tired of seeing it, and also. For God's sakes, a movie like Rot has some good stuff going for it, reunion of terror. But I yeah. was I was like, "Come on, guys. Get to the action. Because you're not Thespians. You you're not going to hold my attention. You're not Clint Eastwood. Just right. get naked and get killed, for God's sakes. That's D- what you're there for."
0: Does it kind of does it kind of piss you off a little bit though, when a movie like Birdemic gets as big of a release as it is, and yet your films, the ones you actually like, nobody can find?
1: Yeah, it
2: does me personally yeah Birdemic Birdemic's <laughs> pretty awful but you know what I don't mind and here's why I don't mind is because those movies of mine are out and everywhere in the country but here America's a little yeah. slow and they're coming out here now so people will be able to get them hats off yeah, to the guy um, who did Birdemic it's a nutball huh. it's horrible I, but you,
0: but you gotta give him credit
1: no one is watching it because it's good you know
2: Exactly.
0: that's true yeah. But but does it kind of bug you that that he's getting such a wide release? You know, it when you had to when you had to fight bad. so yeah. hard?
1: You know, um, I well, I I don't know. I mean, maybe it maybe it really doesn't piss me off any because I mean, people who even when it comes to stuff I've done that I like like Hooker or Midnight E people have seen it that it is widely available. But I guess what ticks me off though about Birdemic is I watched it and personally I huh, I didn't even think it worked as a piece of entertainment. I found it really boring.
0: Oh, yeah, it's it, it is in that level and I don't throw this word around loosely, but it is in that unwatchable level.
2: Yeah, it is. It is
0: so badly made you can't even get a Plan 9 style fun out of it.
2: Yeah, I I just don't know if I can agree with that because look, who knows what the hell happened? The fact that the guy got it made and it's so freaking bizarre and it got put in these stores, let's be honest. It, sure it's awful, but, man, aren't you tired of Rob Schneider movies? Wouldn't you rather this guy's movie be out there than that? You know, yeah, look at it that I way. Agree
1: with, I agree with that, yeah. I, 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 I do agree with that. I think, you know, the, this guy, you know, he he did get the movie made. He did get it out there, but...
2: Um, <laughs> it's awful, yeah, but, 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 but it's, it's kind of... <laughs> I, I kind of enjoyed it in that way for a reason. I don't know why, but I was like, you know what? This movie, it, it's terrible, but my God, man, it, it, it's so much better than Rob Schneider movies. It
0: but is. <laughs> that's right. On the same token, I did want to bring up something to both you guys since I got you both here. Scream 4. Hi. Am I the only Why one, one that's that pissed? Because it pisses me off. Like I Horror Hound is one of my movies. favorite magazines. I love Horror Hound. A couple weeks ago, I just was saying how they are the epitome of a great magazine. And then Scream 4 gets a cover story.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty mad at him. I'm like, you know what? I may not buy another issue for a while. I'm that mad. I'm like, really? Really? I know you're trying to sell magazines, but you have to sell your ass to the devil, really?
1: Yeah, to Kevin Williamson. Oh, God. I uh...
0: Pretty much the same guy, I think. The devil, <laughs> kind of, kind exactly. of same guy. Well, see, to me, to me, the Scream movies are the same as the Feast movies in the way that these are made by people who clearly think that they are a lot more clever than they actually are. Uh, is the way on, I hold look on, at on.
2: it. Now back up for one second. Feast, I enjoyed. I enjoyed but, tremendously. That one I liked. I hated because... it. I, I
0: thought the writers were so arrogant, and watching Project Greenlight, the whole time they're just going, God, we are so clever. Oh, my God, nobody in Hollywood's ever seen anything like this. And it just pissed me off their level of arrogance. You're just, you're just being mean to poor Gulliger for no reason. He's, no, he's a really, really cool guy. He's not cool. Gulliger. Not Gulliger. The writers. I don't yeah, have a well, problem uh, with Gulager. I have a problem with those two arrogant little writer guys. Yeah, but you know what? Gulager did crazy. a damn good job on that. Under, just, under the circumstances, yeah. That I just guy. think he had nothing to work with, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I I, I like it, but but in in regards to Scream, I I, I certainly agree with that. With uh trying to think that they're a lot more clever than they actually are. Guess what? You run into a real serial killer on the street, he's not going to care whether or not you're a virgin. He's going to effing kill you.
2: Well, which am is, I The only one that notices this, but Wes Craven somewhere along the line just became, and it was during the first you know, the first, what really set me off was I read these, these articles for the first scream. It wasn't even out yet. And they ta- they didn't tell- show you the killer or anything. They're just yeah. talking about, we're reinventing the horror genre, like someone asked him to, right? And we're going to make this great thing and boy, it's going to really be scary. It's going to be so scary. No one knows how scary it is. And I was like going, wow, man, this might be really cool. All these people were talking about it. So I get to the movie theater. I'm sitting there with my friend, another horror freak, you know. And we look at each other. The opening scene was great. Then all of a sudden we saw the killer. We're like, dude, we just saw that mask at the Halloween place for like $2.50. Why the hell is that in here? And then we saw him walking around in the stores and no one even notices. And then when we got to the middle of the movie, we're like, are they ever going to stop talking? This guy's in love with his own freaking dialogue. You talk about Quentin Tarantino sometimes, man. You dog him out there, Josh. (laughs) But that movie makes Quentin look like he's got a silent film. They're just going and going and going. Come on. For God's sakes, just let it go. And then by the time the movie was over, I was infuriated, okay? Because this guy is so busy patting himself on the back and breaking his arm. He thinks he's God's gift to, to horror, and he rode the wave. And the problem with it all is all his movie did was, number one, dilute the field of horror to the point of WBBS for how many years? It was all the hottest TV stars in the lamest movie possible with the and worst the kill- covers. Yeah, exactly. They all looked the same. And then I was getting to the point where I was like, you know what? And, and now they're all like, scream, redefine the genre. No one asked him to redefine the genre. And as a matter of fact, if it wasn't for great movies that came later that just kind of brought it back thank god you know people say oh, i'm tired of torture porn thank god for saw and hostel because if not we'd still be seeing those teeny boppers sh- movies I, I
1: agree with that i mean with uh, with scream it didn't reinvent the genre all it did was just reference in the movie the fact that the, that horror movies exist if i want yep. to see that i'll watch student bodies is a much better movie than scream thank you thank
2: absolutely you.
1: I, I, yep yep yep
2: did you notice that the new articles too they were like there was a there was actually a movie phone was this big thing about scream 4 and it said the movies that scream influenced okay supposedly scream influenced behind the mask uh, yeah. I, I don't think so because i actually talked to those guys and they hate scream secondly yeah. it was supposedly influenced my bloody valentine okay now whoever wrote that article is clearly <laughs> a douchebag Clearly needs to have his head slapped about 12
0: times with a fish.
1: I hear it inspired the remake of Last House on the Left.
2: Brad
0: and I talked a few episodes ago about, I saw a list that was clearly made by someone under 25. They listed the 15 most disturbing films ever made. I believe three were before 1990. And and the list was full of high tension and Saw and Hostile. And it was like Deliverance, Sallow, and Brazil were the only ones that I remember being prior to 1990.
2: They only yeah. saw those probably because their, their dad had them in the collection, you know. Most like, likely, hey, what's this? You know, I got to check this out. Set one of those idiots down in front of Cannibal Holocaust. It would be really cool to watch their heads explode. That'd be <laughs> awesome.
0: And then we also had the discussion about those types of lists when it came to music, and you'll probably disagree with me on this, Todd. But it was the 100 most essential metal albums. I believe ninety of that hundred were all from nineteen ninety and above. It was full of limp Bizkit and Metallica. How,
2: why would I disagree with that? I, I hate. That's not even metal. That's to the me, thing I agree with
0: you. I was offended that Metallica's The Black album was number one. Really? I, I don't like Metallica, but that album was freaking horrible.
2: Uh-huh. That was kind of like the epitome of bad, right there.
0: Yeah. No, actually, I think their later ones were bad. I think Saint Anger and stuff like that. Those were actually worse. But that's my opinion
2: man, I didn't even know you could get any worse.
0: <laughs> Just last night, Scott on Lost in the he made me listen to that, uh, what's her name, Rebecca Black or whatever, that Friday song that's on the internet.
1: I listened to that the other day, too.
0: How does that have 88 million views on YouTube?
1: But at the same time, how is that song any worse than any other pop top 40 hit that I hear? flipping channels all the time on the radio. I listened to that Rebecca Black thing and I thought, well, yeah, this is terrible, but if I heard this on the radio, I wouldn't think anything of it. I'd just skip past it and it wouldn't even I wouldn't even remember.
2: Well, for one thing, the people today don't write their own music, man. Nobody out there that's a huge pop star is writing their own music. These guys sit down on a Macintosh, and some producer puts together some beats and steals some real instrumentation from another band that actually played, like Van Halen or somebody, and puts it on there. And suddenly it's like, oh, uh, we just talked about that on Nightwatch. You don't have a say in it. I write a song. You want to go and rip it off as a hip-hop artist? All you got to do is go and pay the BMI or ASCAP a few bucks, and suddenly you can use my song, and I have no say in it. Even though I'm I'm an artist who wrote
0: actual music. At the same time, the thing that's wrong with all modern music, I believe, is auto-tune. Auto-tune should be banned if you ever want to call yourself an artist. Oh,
2: that's awful.
1: Because the computer is doing
0: all the work.
1: That was the most annoying thing about that Friday thing.
0: Yeah, she was auto-tuned to hell.
1: And I agree with you about being upset about how many hits it got, but it's because it's so forgettable.
0: Look at Rachel Bloom's F*** Me, Ray Bradbury. Yeah. She actually sings in it. It's her voice with no auto-tune, and there's actual talent behind there. Yeah. Doesn't have, yeah. doesn't even have a million hits yet. Yet, mm-hmm. Rebecca Black is an 88 million hits. It's just yeah. annoying to me.
2: Have you not realized by the fact that they've made three jackass movies that this country has lost its mind when it comes to entertainment? Come on.
0: We only got a minute left, but Brad's a jackass fan, so he's going to fight you on that, I think.
1: I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll fight you on because I mean it's one of those things like Even if, even if you like Jackass <laughs> How do you defend it
2: <laughs> you, you can't yeah it's one of those Yeah, And I understand the allure of it I just tell you that the fact that that got put In every theater in this country and Walmart Carries the uncut version with even more male nudity While great horror <laughs> movies Will not get carried at Walmart and they won't get carried in theaters And Hatchet 2 got yanked out of the theaters After 36 hours That's BS
0: well, Todd, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and put together enough money to make a movie starring Rob Schneider, Tyler Perry, Sherry Moon Zombie, and uh, have a whole bunch of midget porn in it just for you.
2: You know sometimes you can be an a-hole, Josh.:
0: I know sometimes. Well, we got to go, so I'm going to say goodnight. You guys I don't know. do you want to say goodnight?: Goodnight, John Boy.
3: A box of chocolates and a long stem rose Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows knows. That's how it goes ¡Qué So many people you had to meet without your clothes, and everybody knows, everybody knows, everybody knows knows. that's the way it goes. we